prayer and jump into this. Father, thank you so much for your word that guides us into truth, that, that is truth, that, that, um, that if we would just stop, contemplate, think about it, meditate on it, and then follow its instruction that um, you've given us everything we need. And at times when we're in the middle of parenting, it's unfathomable to us that we have everything we need in front of us. But Lord, your word is sure, and it's, it is where we are to look. And so I pray this morning as we look to your word, as we begin talking about a really hard subject, that um, we would be guided by truth, that Holy Spirit, you would come and, and bring that truth to bear in our hearts and bring the word of God alive in our thinking so that it would, would challenge us, that it would, would mold us, that it would, would Im, not just improve us for the sake of self-improvement, but so that we might be better parents, so that our children might be better pointed to the one who is the ultimate parent, you, God, our Father. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so as we begin this morning, we're going to talk about discipline. So when I talk about discipline, what, what, what comes into your mind? When I say discipline, interact with me. What do you think about? Spankings. What else do you think? Consequences. What else do you think about? That's it? Difficult. Absolutely. What else do you think about with discipline? Correction. Often when we talk, oh, Dave, yeah. The disciplines of working out, uh, yeah, responsibility, the uh, disciplined life, um, an ordered, well thought out, um, carefully lived life. Often when we talk about discipline, we think about it as a parent in regard with whom? Our children. But discipline begins in your heart. You will never be a good discipliner until you have learned to discipline your own heart. In fact, if your heart is not disciplined, you will be an awful discipliner of your children. You will be. And, and let's think about this. This is a big responsibility that we've been given, right? God has given us children, and he expects what out of us? Let's, let's under, what is the expectation that God expects out of us with our children? To what? To raise them in the word. What does that mean? That's a good Sunday school answer. I'm going to pick on you, Miranda. That's a good Sunday school answer. What does that mean, raise them in the word? What's that look like, David? Okay, for listen online, he just said, or yeah, that provide a moral compass, and we would believe as believers that that moral compass is the word of God, right? I like that. Okay. What fights against that? Just about everything, right? Just about everything fights against that. 
okay? You, your own selves, fight against that at times. Your, your, your laziness, your, your desire for comfort, all those things, it fights against it. The world fights against that, okay? And so parenting is a really, really, really hard job, isn't it? It's a really hard job. And it's a job that many times, that, and I don't know about you, I like it when I get jobs done, right? I like it when I get jobs done. Parenting is a job that's never completed. Even when they leave home, parenting is not completed. As long as you are alive and you still have children, you're a parent. It never stops. And so, so we have to think about it in, in over the long haul, okay? And, and when your kid is three years old and throwing fits repetitively and, and doing everything, like you, I mean, let's be honest. Those of you who have young children, it's almost like they are sinister enough that they are out to get you, right? It's the way it feels. And it's hard to think long-term, isn't it? So let's talk about this week's big idea. The biggest obstacle to good discipline is a parent's selfish, selfish heart. And so let's just understand something. As we talk this morning, I am pointing fingers at all of our hearts this morning. We're not going to deal with our kids this morning. I'm pointing fingers at all of our hearts because our hearts, true or false, are selfish hearts. Right? We, we don't have to be taught how to take care of me, do we? And what we are easily prone to do is to see the selfishness in our children. How many of you can spot it in your children? In your adult children? You know, in your young children? In your teenagers? Can you spot the selfishness? Do you know why you're so good at spotting selfishness? Because you know what it's like to be selfish. Okay? And so that's where we're going to start. Before we even talk about dealing with disciplining our children, okay? So I make a statement. There's no more controversial issue within the body of Christ, even more controversial than music, than the subject of disciplining your children. Why? Why? Why is it controversial? Okay, the, so the world has made it so that Biblical discipline is abuse. Anybody agree with that? Okay. Why else is it controversial? Because it's hard. Okay. Take our church. On a Sunday morning, you know, there's anywhere between 250 and 300 people here. How many different viewpoints on discipline are there among those people? Even in your own marriage, do you have different viewpoints? You do. What shapes those? The way you were raised, good or bad, right? What else shapes that? Personalities. Will, 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 will a formula of discipline work exactly for every child that you have? Absolutely not. And if you think that's the case, then you need to rethink your discipline. What works for your oldest probably doesn't work for your thirdborn. Is that true? You don't even have three kids, Preston. Yeah. 
And that's why. <laughs> yeah. Why else is it controversial? Why else is it controversial? <laughs> You'd like it to be A, B, C, D with sub points one, two, and three. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of gray, you think? Okay. So I make a statement here. Discipline is biblical. Is that a true statement? Okay, let's just look at a couple passages of Scripture to introduce this, okay? Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. I think if you're going to talk about discipline, we need to go to the ultimate example of discipline, and that is God as a heavenly father, okay? Is God the perfect father? Yes, he is, okay? And so can we take a lot of cues for how we act as parents from the, our father? We can, from our heavenly father, right? So what we have here in Hebrews chapter 12, and this is towards the end of this letter, and, and the writer of Hebrews has given us a lot of deep theology about how Christ is superior to, to so many different things, okay? And he's writing this to Jewish believers, and he's writing it to Jewish believers who, do, do the Jews as a nation, does Israel as a whole have a history of being disciplined by God? Like over and over and over? And was God's discipline really like, was it, was it pretty severe? Yeah, so this is in their heritage. This is in their background, right? And so he says this. He's talking about Jesus, verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. He, he, is, he is exhorting his hearers here in the idea of, of the, the fight against sin, okay? So let's understand something right off the bat. Are you yourself personally fighting against sin every day? And you as a parent are trying to assist your children or child in what? Their own what? Their own battle with sin. Okay? And, and it comes in various forms and fashions. Okay? But, but understand something. You as a parent, and, and this is almost seems like the deck is stacked against us as parents, but this is just the reality. Every day, I am battling my own sinful propensities. I am battling my temptations. I'm battling my flesh, and I am trying to help my child who is doing the exact same thing. The difference is I should have a much better framework with which to deal with it an understanding of the Word of God, a reliance on the Holy Spirit that comes from maturity that my child doesn't have. In fact, I have to understand that usually my child's not even a believer. Right? Okay? So it's, it's about this point of this fight against sin. And so what does God do? Verse 5, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son... Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Okay, he's quoting a verse of scripture from the Old Testament, okay? So, so he says this, don't, don't regard lightly or don't discount the discipline of the Lord. And he goes on and he says, the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. 
It is for disciplining that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which you've all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons, okay? And so what he's saying here is, is as the child of God, God is going to discipline you because he loves you, which cues us in. The motivation for disciplining our children is not so that we produce perfect little robots that come out the end of, a, of, a, of an assembly line. We're disciplining because we love. We're disciplining because we love. So if you choose not to discipline, what are you saying by your action? Go ahead and say it. But, but my kid has the best of everything. I, I buy them the best uniforms to go to school in Johnstown. I put them in the best sports. I pay for them to get sports lessons and music lessons and all this stuff. They have the best of everything. I buy organic food for them. I do all this stuff. But if you don't discipline them, what does God say about that? You don't truly love them. You don't truly love them. You want to know why? Because you love yourself more than you love them. You love the idea of having the perfect little child out there that makes the perfect little Instagram moment. And you don't truly love your child. So let's understand something here. When he talks about discipline and he talks about chastisement, what do those words mean? The idea of disciplining there is amending or correcting evil amending or correcting evil if you have young children are they capable of evil <laughs> if you don't think they are then you don't really truly see your children for who they are okay they, they are capable of evil it's hard to believe we have newborn babies in our church it's hard to believe jude is in the room with us it's hard to believe that he is capable of all kinds of evil but is that bound up in his heart it is. The Bible says that it's bound up. It's literally, it's right there in his heart. Let's just take a jet tour of just a few verses in Proverbs. And believe me, I limited. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 12. We'll just go from, we'll kind of work our way through the book of Proverbs, okay? Proverbs has many things to say about discipline. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. What does it mean to reprove? Any ideas? What does it mean to reprove? Hmm? More than correct, it's a stronger word than correct. It's like to call out. To call out. It's something that moms of preschoolers feel like they do all the time. All they do is call out wrong behavior. Right? But that's, that's reproving, okay? Notice what the writer says here. If you love discipline, you're going to love knowledge, but if you, but if you hate it, it's, it's, it's ignorant, it's stupidity, okay? Go over to chapter 13, verse 24. Whoever, this is, this is one that'll get a lot of people in hot trouble. Maybe we should turn off the recording here. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Now, is that an Old Testament concept that was only for the Old Testament? Or is that God's instruction for how we parent? What is it, church? 
I remember one time teaching a parenting class much earlier, probably why I haven't taught one in a while. And we were talking about this concept. And I had a very angry mother in my office the next day. You're teaching us to abuse our children. I want to be really careful here. I want to be really careful here. Properly done corporal punishment is not abuse. And let me, let me say a couple things to you. How many of you have had God introduce pain into your life? Is he a, still a loving Heavenly Father? Will a loving Heavenly Father introduce pain into your life? Why does God put pain in your life? Sometimes it's to get our attention. Sometimes it's absolutely to stop us from doing what we, what we willfully will pursue. Okay? Here the writer of Proverbs is, is telling us, and he, he says, sparing the rod is the equivalent of what in the second part of that verse? The use of the rod is equivalent to what? Discipline. Do you see it there? He, he's, he's, he's using a simile here. Okay, and he's saying, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who is diligent to discipline, in other words, part of discipline is actually having to punish our children and make them hurt. How does our selfish hearts, how do our selfish hearts fight against that? Hmm? One, it takes time. Two, if you have any kind of heart at all, do you delight in seeing your children cry because you've caused them to cry or hurt? And selfishly, what will we do? None of you would do this. So what would selfishly, what would somebody else do? If I don't enjoy seeing my children hurt, what will I do then? Will what? We'll go back on punishment. We will, we will do this, and I'm sure none of us in this room have ever done this. We will threaten and repeat and threaten and repeat and threaten and repeat. And what does that teach our children? I'm going to tell you something right now. Children are gamblers. They are. They're gamblers, and what are they gambling with? Many times they're gambling with house money because they know that you will not back up what you say, and they're going to gamble with that. You know why? Because they have watched you habitually threaten and repeat and threaten and repeat and threaten and repeat and never back up. And is that a child issue or is that your heart issue? What is it? And most of that comes from a selfish heart. I just, one, I don't want to deal with that right now. I've had a hard day at work. I don't want to deal with that. Or if you're the, God bless you, if you're the mother who's been home all day and dad's coming, you're like, you know what, I'm leaving that for dad to deal with. Keep going. Go to chapter 22. Chapter 22, verse 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Can I get an amen? Let's introduce a, let's introduce a concept at this point. Folly is another word for what? Foolishness. Okay? 
is there a difference between foolish behavior and childish behavior? Is there a difference? Some of us in this room overcorrect our kids. Kids are kids. They're going to do childish things. For instance, how many of you have little girls who like to be fairies and dancers and dress up and all do all that stuff? And they want to twirl around and they want to do all this stuff. Is it childish behavior whenever they are just twirling around in the living room and they accidentally, with their little baton that they're thinking, hit the vase of flowers and knock it over? Is that childish behavior? But some of you will get really angry and you will blow up at her and because she has disrupted your perfect little living room. Now, it becomes foolish behavior whenever she does it one time and you say to her, do not do this in the living room, or if you're going to do it, we need to move the vase of flowers, and she goes back in and does it again, does it now become foolish behavior? What changed it? What changed it was you had given her instruction, right? Don't don't fall into the trap of being, well, I've got to be a disciplining parent, so I'm going to discipline every stupid little childish thing that my kids do. You know what? You're going to do what Ephesians 6 tells us not to do, and we're going to get there in a second. Let's go to chapter 23. 23, verse 13. If you strike him with the rod, he will not what? Yet whenever you, whenever you introduce the, the rod of reproof, what do a lot of children do? They act like they're going to die, right? <laughs> I will never forget one Sunday, one of my children, and this was a frequent occurrence when my children were young, Amy would say to them, you're going to have to meet with dad when we get home or say something like that or dad will deal with this whenever he gets home from church. That usually meant that, you know, we were going to be in the bedroom and the wooden spoon was going to come out. One of my children, who is not in the room at this moment, so it's not Seth and it's not Malia, <laughs> one of my children was smart enough to know where the wooden spoon that we used for spanking was kept and she hid it in the bedroom. And she knew that she had hit it. And when I walked in, I was expecting this contrite little, I'm so sorry, but she was like. <laughs> I want to admit, that was probably the softest spanking I ever gave out. In fact, I even told her, when you walk out, you cry, okay? Mom needs to know that you got spanked. I was laughing too hard. I was laughing too hard to really spank her. <laughs> you better turn on the tears or I will give you tears. <laughs> don't withhold discipline from a child why he makes this a life and death issue here what he's saying is if you don't apply discipline to your child you are pushing them to the brink of death in a way but if you discipline them they're not going to die okay one more chapter 29 one more in proverbs 29 verse 15 Every mother knows this, don't you? Every mother knows this. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself. It, why is it never the dad? Why is it always the mom? Moms, is it true? 
Where does the shame fall? No one looks at the dad and like, man, you're a horrible father, but they look at the mom and they're like, man, you are lousy at this. Which is why dads, you better be, you better be the one who is the head discipliner in your home because you love your wife so much you don't want her brought to shame. But what will a selfish heart do? Dads, what will a selfish heart do? I'll let mom take care of the discipline in the home. She's better suited for it. If you truly love your wife, you will discipline your children, husbands. If you truly love your wife. Now, wives in the room where husbands don't, this is not permission for you to beat your husband up with this. What this is is a way for you to pray for your husband. If you use this as an attack on your husband, you are just as unloving as your husband is. We clear on that? Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Making the biblical case here. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Isn't it interesting? Where, do, where does Paul, through the Holy Spirit, put the emphasis on discipline of our children? Where is it squarely on? It's on a dad. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So, so is it possible to provoke our children? What is the chief way we provoke our children according to this verse? By not what? By not instructing them in the Lord and not disciplining them. Okay? So, after all those verses, is it, can, can we say, will you agree with me that discipline is a biblical concept? You agree with me on that? That God's design is that we would discipline our children. How many of you would say in your home that your home is generally free from conflict? Now, I want you to think about the past week in your home and rethink that, how you, what your thought was. How many of you got into it with your children this week? Be honest. How many of you have one child that you seemingly right now has been the source of all of your irritation as a parent? Yes. Okay. How many of you are like, go to bed at night and you're like, I think I could sell them out to the orphanage right now? <laughs> or at least to the neighbor? Okay, let's go to James chapter 4. James chapter 4 is not a parenting passage, but it is so helpful here. James cuts to the heart of the matter with all kinds of conflict. And, and our homes are, are rife with conflict because we have desires and our kids have desires, right? So James chapter 4, what causes and quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Let's not even focus on our children. Let's focus on our own hearts this morning before we talk about children next week. Are, passions, are the passions that are at war within us in verse 1, are those passions always negative things? What are some of the things you're passionate about as a parent? 
How many of you are passionate about hygiene? I mean, you let your kids walk around with fuzzy teeth? How many of you are passionate about your children learning and, and being, you know, not being smart, but, but learning and being educated? You passionate about that? How many of you are passionate about a good work ethic for your kids? How many of you are passionate about, about them living an orderly life, a disciplined life? Okay? Your passions at times can be at war within you, okay? How many of you get conflicted in what is the greater goal for your parents at times, or for your children just as a parent? How many of you get conflicted in your own mind? What's, I mean, there's, there's, we talked about this last week. There's a plethora of things out there that, that our kids, then we think about, I've got to treat them and train them to be well-rounded, like like as a man, I want my child to, to know how to change his own oil. I also want him to be able to go out and be a hunter-gatherer, but I also want him to play basketball. Just think about those silly little things there, right? Can you possibly do all the things that you want to do for your children and train them to do all the things? No, you can't. So even in your own mind, your desires for your children are are kind of jumbled in that war with one another, right? Which is why we got to go back to what we talked about last week. we got to keep the main thing the main thing with our parenting, right? And what is the ultimate goal for our children that we learned last week? What is the ultimate goal? Please tell me you remember. Somebody's like pulling out their sheet from last week. Come on now, tell me, what's the goal from last week? What? To, to learn that God is someone that I can trust and that I can love and that I can, and that in, in a, the way I live my life, if I live my life in a God-fearing way, hopefully it gets transferred to my children, right? You can't, you can't get your child to the foot of the cross. You can't make them become a believer, but you can teach them a fear of God, can you not? And so, all these things that we're talking about here have to go through a certain grid work, if you will. And the ultimate goal is, if I've got to keep that in my mind, the ultimate goal is I want my child to fear God, then I've got to make, help them make decisions, and I've got to make decisions for them that I think that will best direct them to a healthy fear of the Lord, right? Now compound this. Your spouse also is dealing with those same conflicts in his or her mind. Right? We've got veteran parents in the room, and I can speak to this as a veteran parent. Dave and Beth, did you guys always have the right desires for, the same desires for Grant? Yeah. Because <laughs> you're the dad, right? Yeah. <laughs> I can tell you, I can tell you that Amy and I often had different viewpoints and ideas about that. And if you're not careful, all of a sudden you can see your spouse as, you're fighting against me with this. But yet, in God in his wisdom, did he not put the two of you together in a marriage to raise this child? If God put the two of you together, do both of your view viewpoints then really matter? And do they, do they have value in terms of how your child is raised? Do they? Yeah. 
This is where parenting is very inconvenient. Have you figured this out, that a lot of parenting really has nothing to do with interaction with the child as much as you as a husband and wife talking together and understanding? And if you don't have a good marriage, you're not going to be a good parent. Let me say that again. If you don't have a good, healthy marriage, you're not going to be a good parent. We have teachers in the room. You can, you can identify the kids in your classroom that come from broken homes. Can you not, teachers? Why is that? Like, like they have this, like this gold star on their head or something? Well, how can you identify them? By the way they behave, right? And too often, even in within the Christian community, oh, we would never divorce. That's terrible. We would never do that. But we would, also, we would also hide behind the fact that we're Christians and that everything is perfect in our homes. And we're no better than divorced homes because mom and dad are just as divided and they don't ever talk about it. Now, that may hit a little hard, but I mean for it too. If you don't have enough discipline in your heart to sit down with your husband or your wife and discuss how you're going to raise your children, then what do you expect them to be whenever they grow up? And that's hard. That's a good point. You have to be a good communicator within your marriage if you're going to be a good parent. You have to be. So it's not just necessarily bad desires, but notice what happens with the desires that we have. Verse 2, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. Well, that seems like an awful quick jump that James makes here, right? right? Like, okay, kid, you want something different than I want, and I'm tired of it. That's it. You're getting buried in the backyard. How do we murder? What is the source of murder for most of us? This thing right here. How many of you have said some pretty murderous words to your spouse and to your child? What's the source of that? I want what I want, and I'm going to get what I want, and if I'm not getting what I want, I'm going to let you know about it, and I can't physically kill you, so I'm going to kill you with my words, because I don't want to go to jail for the rest of my life, right? And notice what James points out to heart. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own desires, pointing out the selfishness of our hearts. The selfishness of our hearts. Ask yourself this at the bottom of the page. What selfish desires distort my parental discipline? A helpful way to think about this is, when was the last time you thought about your child in this way? If Johnny only would be this or do this. One of the biggest ones when, when that we faced when our children were young is, I had this desire to get a good night's sleep. Anybody else in that boat? 
I had this desire to get a good night's sleep. And so I literally was blaming my sinful behavior on the fact that one or several of my children would not sleep well. That just doesn't even make sense, does it? But if only little Susie would sleep through the night, my life would be better. What's wrong with that statement? What's wrong with that? Some of you are like, there's nothing wrong with that. That's my life right now, Pastor Dan. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that statement. What's wrong with the statement? Yeah, my, my, my whole life is revolving around this kid's ability to sleep or not sleep. Like, yeah, try going to work after two hours of sleep with a kid who's been screaming all night. Notice the remedies that James, and we don't have time to unpack this whole passage, but notice the remedies that he points to us to deal with our own selfish hearts. One, verse six, God opposes, opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Your laughter will be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. You never thought that your parenting problem was your own heart's pride, but that's probably your biggest parenting problem. Because here's what children do. Children are similar to the Word of God in this. The Word of God acts as a mirror to our hearts. The way that you react to your children is also a mirror of your heart. And whenever we see the ugliness of our heart, it's easy with children to blame them for the ugliness of our heart. But guess what? Out of the abundance of our hearts, our mouths do what? Your children didn't make your heart selfish. Your children just revealed your selfish heart. Which takes us to Ephesians chapter 6. I want to spend a little bit of time here. So, God deals with, with authority structures in the home here in Ephesians 5 and 6, and he deals with relationships, right? And, and the whole point of the book of Ephesians is dealing with, with this wonderful truth about the gospel, is, and as Paul develops it, all the blessings that we have in Christ in chapter 1 and verse 2, the fact that we were dead men walking, but God who in his grace and mercy has given us life in Christ. And then, and then in chapter 3, he's talking about how the fact now is, is now we understand this great mystery that we never could understand before, and it's, it's the mystery of Christ and being the gospel and what Christ has done. And then getting in chapter 4, it's how we live this all out. And he ends with relationships, right? Should, look this way, should the gospel transform your relationships? A proper understanding and application of the gospel in your heart, should that transform your relationships? Should that make you the right kind of spouse that, that God intends you to be? Should that make you the right kind of parent? Should that make you the right kind of boss or the right kind of employee that you should be? It should. Okay, and, and, and as a general principle, what we, what we praise God for on Sunday, what we sit and listen to ought to affect all seven days of the week, right? What we affirm when we gather as the church really ought to influence all of the way we live the rest of the week, right? We ought to be different because of that, okay? 
So when I'm doing marriage counseling, I spend a lot of time in Ephesians 5, and one of the things that I point out is, is that one, who is the, who is the originator of authority? Who, who came up with the idea of authority? It's not a hard question, people. God did. God, God is the originator of authority, right? And so as God hands out authority, who, where does authority ultimately reside with? God, right? And so God hands out authority, doesn't he? He, he hands out and he gives authority and, and, he, and he puts structures in place, okay? How many of you would agree with me that the family structure is a God-ordained structure, right? Okay, so if it's a God-ordained structure, does he have the right to determine how it should be structured? Okay, and we as, as his creation, we have an obligation to go with the way that he designed it, right? Okay, we sure on that? Okay. So we often want to go to 6-1 and deal with immediately when it comes to parenting. Children, obey your parents. Yes, obey. But we've got to back up and understand chapter 5 first. We've got to be the kind of godly husbands and wives that God calls us to be. And we also have to, we have to put into place verse 21. We've got to submit to one another out of a reverence for Christ. We ought to have that humility with one another in our relationships. Do you need humility as a parent? If you don't think you do, you really need it. You need humility as a parent. It's really easy to feel, see yourself as John Wayne, though, and just kind of walk into your kid's bedroom. There's a new sheriff in town. And you got to do everything I tell you to do. And when I say jump, you say, how high, Daddy? You parent that way, your kids are going to be some of the most pompous kids in the world. And would you agree with me we don't need any more pompous kids in the world? So if we don't get authority right, we're not going to get parenting right. Do we get authority from God because we're deserving of it? Why do we get authority from God? I mean, just think about government. Is most of the people, are most of the people serving in government, are they worthy of the authority they've been given? then why do they get it? Because God's established that through fallible earthly authority, this is how he's going to, to govern and rule, right? Think about a church. Is there such a thing as a perfect elder in a church? At least not in this one there isn't, right? But is that God's, is that God's design? Okay, it is. So, Understand that every one of us has an authority given to us by God and we can abuse that authority. And there's two big ways that we abuse authority. And, and all of us as parents tend to be one way or the other with this. I'm convinced of it. We either abuse authority by being authoritarian. How many of you had an authoritarian parent? Okay. Okay. There was, uh, obedience wasn't the question, right? <laughs> what was the question? <laughs> it's like, how long can I put up with this, right? 
What's the other way we abuse authority? If we abuse it one way by grabbing it for all it's worth, what's another way we abuse it? Isn't not using the authority just as much of an abuse as overusing it? Right? And many times in your parenting, you vacillate between the two. <laughs> How many of you feel like you're constantly on that spectrum? My kids are really bad, so I've really got to become uber authoritative. Oh, all of a sudden they're acting really nice and kind. I walked into the room and all my kids are playing together really nicely. They were just listening for you to come down the hallway and they faked it. Right? And so then you're like, oh, I'm going to be the kind and nice parent now. And even as, even as a couple, you vacillate between, you be good cop this week and I'll be bad cop. I don't want to be bad cop anymore. You be bad cop. And we abuse our authority. And what happens when we abuse our authority? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And, and I would submit to you the number one way to provoke your children to anger, to wrath, to, to general frustration and vexation is this, by abusing the authority that God has given you. And why do we abuse that authority? Because we're selfish. Because we're selfish. I know this because I'm probably the most selfish parent in the room. I understand this. And we will discipline if we're not careful. Rather than following the guidelines in Scripture for discipline that we'll talk about next week in terms of how we apply this to our children and using, using what the Bible gives us for discipline, we will discipline based on what we want. How many of you have been guilty of disciplining based on what you want? Like, you will yell at your kids whenever you've got a splitting headache because they're being too noisy. But, but when everything's fine, you will let them be animals. Come on, how many of you have been guilty of doing that? Jimmy, I knew it. <laughs> what motivated that? Was it a desire that your kids would, would understand that God has a standard and live by that standard? Or was the fact that you just needed some peace and quiet? What motivated it? So I put a little list down here that I want you to work through this week. I want you to ask that diagnostic question of yourself first. So it's a heart x-ray question. When was the, think about the last time you were angry with your child. Like you mean like the last time in the last 10 seconds? <laughs> the last time you were angry with a child. And before you deal with the child's behavior, ask yourself this question. What is it my heart, my heart, wants in this moment? Much of the anger we have with our children is because of what our hearts want. This is why it's so important, and we'll try to unpack it more next week, that we understand that our children are childish at times. They're not always foolish. Think about these five desires. And there's more than this. You'll come up with more as you think about it. 
If you desire quietness in your life, and I don't mean just by decibel level, I'm just talking about lack of chaos in your life, and is that a good desire? But if you want quiet life more than anything else, can that become a hard idol? It absolutely can. If you want your child to love you, if you want your child, if the goal of your parenting is that your children will be your best friend, will that influence the way that you parent? Just a little, little spoiler. You don't want your children to be your best friend. Who do you want them to seek as their best friend? One who's far greater than you. Do you want to have a good relationship with your child? Do you want to have open doors so you can talk about anything with your children? Yes, but you want your children's best friend to be someone far greater than you. Thirdly, if you orient your life so that, that you live in what I call the Instagram world where you want everyone to respect you for what you do, when you walk into a school function, when you walk into church, you want people to look at you and be like, oh, there is the orderly, disciplined family. Here comes the Stevens. Look at them. They are so beautiful. They just parade their children right in. They're so well behaved. If that's how you live your life, will you orient your parenting that way? And that's why you'll be yelling at your kids in the car before you get to church, and you'll be even yelling harder after you leave church, right? Because here's what kids know. They know you want that disciplined order little ducks in a row family, and what will kids do? You have one. Every one of you has one that will do what? Oh, I ain't in line, right? Some of you have more than one, Matt and Malia. Um, <clears throat> They're my grandkids. I know them. <laughs> Fourthly, if you have the hard idol of control, will that come through in your parenting? Look down at the bottom. There's four great truths about God that I want you to explore this week. God is great, and I do not have to be in control. How many of you believe that God is great? Guess what, if you really believe that, you don't have to be in control because someone greater than you is in control. And that doesn't mean that you let your kids be totally out of control, <laughs> okay? This is not an argument for free-range parenting, okay? It works with chickens, it doesn't work with, with kids, okay? God is glorious. How many of you believe that God is glorious? Guess what? If he is more glorious than anything else, then I have to stop. I don't have to parent for the approval of others. And is that not a big trap that we fall into? And we would never say it in the context of a local church, but sometimes the biggest conformity for pressure is within the walls of the local church. Well, I notice you aren't sending your son to youth group right now. Hmm. Oh, your kids aren't, aren't um, saying seven sections in Awana, huh? We would never say that, but do we act that way at times? Yeah. Thirdly, God is good. I don't have to look elsewhere. I only need to look to him. And if that's true for you, it's true for your children. And fourthly, God is gracious. I don't have to prove myself. And I want to leave you with that. I want to leave you with that. Every single one of us will make mistakes as parents, right? Some of us live life 
just beating ourselves up for the wrong things that we have done over and over. And let's be honest, our kids are living reminders of every mistake we've made. And our kids have great memories and they remind us of the mistakes we made over and over and over and over again. Do they not? Does God remind us of the mistakes we make? No, he's gracious. You don't have to prove yourself to God because you can't prove yourself to God. You can only do with what you have today, right? One last hard idol I want you to consider, success. Whatever your measure for success is, and we talked about this in the last couple of weeks, whatever your measure for success is, can that become a hard idol for you? So as you discipline your own heart, the way you start to discipline your own heart is to deal with your own heart's idols. And make no mistake, every one of our hearts has idols. <laughs> and if, we don't, if we're not honest with ourselves and our heart idols, we're not going to be honest in our parenting. Two ways to identify your heart idols. <laughs> One, be in the Word of God consistently. The Word of God will point out your heart idols. And two, your spouse probably knows your heart idols pretty well. Come on, wives in the room, do you know what your husband's heart idols are? Husbands, can you spot your wife's heart idols? doesn't make them a horrible person. It just makes them a human being who, has, who can at times get ruled by their desires. And this is why a healthy marriage is so vital to you as a parent. If you do not have a healthy marriage, and if you don't have the framework to deal and, and to communicate well and, and to be able to, to help one another as you deal with your heart idols, it makes parenting really difficult. Questions or thoughts for me? I know I didn't get that right. There's got to be some questions. Okay. Do me a favor. If you have questions this week, send them to me in an email, and I'll deal with them at the beginning of next week. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the grace that you give to us. And as parents, it's often really easy to fall into the trap of thinking that we are just, just abject failures that will never get this right. But I pray that more than ever we would, would see your grace to understand that our hearts as parents aren't always disciplined like they need to be, but that we can, through your grace, through your strength, through your word, discipline our hearts. And I pray that we would first do that hard work of looking at our own hearts objectively and I pray this, that as we do that, that you would graciously restore our hearts, that you would, would correct our hearts, and that you would, would lead us, and that we would be willing to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.